Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Always appreciate it. Coming up today, a look at the ongoing dairy trade dispute with Canada. Shauna Morris with the National Milk Producers Federation will join us. Um, Technically, Canada seems to be abiding by its uh, obligations under USMCA, but they may have found another way to kind of get around things uh, when it comes to dairy trade and market access and things like that. We're going to talk it over with Shauna Morris about that. We'll talk markets today with Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing as we get closer to the August crop report. And we're also going to talk about uh, infrastructure and some of the ag legislation issues uh, of the day. We'll talk with Reuters White House reporter Jarrett Renshaw will be joining us a little bit later on. But right now we're going to start things off looking at that recent court decision overturning EPA's approval of year-round E15 sales. Now it doesn't affect things too much this summer, but moving forward, it certainly could. There's a new analysis out about that today, about the potential impact, and joining us to talk about it is Scott Richmond, who is Chief Economist for the Renewable Fuels Association. Scott, thanks for joining us. Tell us about this new analysis showing the potential impact if we lose year-round E15 sales. Well, good morning, Mike, and uh, thank you for having me on. Yeah, earlier this year, uh, E15 was really starting to gain momentum uh, due to a confluence of factors, and it was kind of a behind-the-scenes uh, good news story coming out of the pandemic, which had been you know, so difficult on the ethanol industry. And really the most important of those factors was the 2019 EPA rule that allowed uh, E15 to be sold year-round uh, for the first time. And all indications that we had uh, were that E15 volumes would really ramp up considerably uh, over the next few years. A lot of conversations uh, behind the scenes, uh, and you know, things were going in the right direction. However, as you mentioned, unfortunately, last month, uh, the D.C. Circuit Court struck down that EPA rule. So we ran some numbers uh, on what that could mean. and. By our estimates, uh, the way that we were going uh, earlier this year before that decision happened, uh, by 2024, we thought we would have over 7 billion gallons uh, of E15 sales. However, if it cannot be sold year-round, we think that uh, sales volumes are only going to trickle upward instead of uh, basically uh, grow substantially, uh, and volumes in 2024 will be 90% less than they otherwise would have been. Uh, In terms of the volume of ethanol that we're talking about, you have to take into account the fact that E15 sales of that magnitude will tend to replace E10 sales. So net-net, we're talking about 630 million gallons uh, of foregone ethanol sales through 2024, uh, worth about $1.3 billion. So... Uh, this decision, if we don't have uh, action that, uh, that remedies it and restores year-round E15, could have a pretty significant effect on um, on the growth and, and ethanol consumption over the next few years. 
And let's also look at it from an environmental standpoint. The White House continues to push um, electric vehicles and, and their way to get to these climate goals. But as your industry points out, the biofuels industry points out, don't overlook an industry that right now can help you achieve these goals. And this E15 ruling, if uh, the ban is allowed to stay in place, certainly sets us back towards reaching those climate goals. Exactly. And, you know, we, we as an industry are in favor of trying to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions. The Renewable Fuels Association membership uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, signed on to a pledge where uh, our goal is to meet uh, 70% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions relative to gasoline by 2030 and uh, achieve net zero emissions by 2050, which is in line uh, with the administration's goals. I should mention we're already achieving basically 50% reductions uh, versus gasoline. And if you, look, if you step back and you take a look at uh, the, the stock of cars, the stock of automobiles that's out there. Right now, it's overwhelmingly internal combustion engine vehicles. Uh, right now, this year, uh, electric vehicles account for about 3% of sales. Even if electric vehicles can account for 40 to 50% of sales in 2030, if you look at the vehicles on the road, there's still going to be 80% plus internal combustion engine vehicles. So it doesn't make sense to only focus on the 20% or so uh, of vehicles that are electric. It makes sense to figure out how uh, the ethanol that's already uh, achieving emissions reductions at scale can continue to do, do that in, in a larger way. And this new study shows that if you lose year-round sales of E15, it would cause greenhouse gas emissions from gasoline consumption to increase by 2.3 million metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent between 2021 and 2024. I mean, that seems pretty counterproductive. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we are all going toward the same goals. And I know that there has been a significant, you know, emphasis on electric vehicles, but we need to, to take a serious look at what we can do right here, right now, uh, by increasing the share uh, of ethanol uh, that's in the tank and going forward uh, by, looking at, uh, by looking at options like high-octane, low-carbon uh, fuels with higher percentages of ethanol that can go ahead and supplant even more fossil fuels and get that greenhouse gas emissions uh, from the internal combustion and engine vehicles down uh, even more. So we think we've got a good story, uh, a good solution, but we just need uh, the right policy in place. So the loss of E15 sales year-round would have a very negative impact on, on the, uh, the economy, certainly the rural economy, the biofuels industry, and and the environmental efforts that supposedly we're we're on you know we're f pursuing here to try to clean the uh, the air and protect the environment. So uh, I know RFA, you're working to do everything you can to try to keep E15 available to motorists year-round. Yes, and you know part of that is just getting the word out so people understand how important this is both uh, to increasing ethanol consumption uh, in the next few years meeting the renewable fuel standard, and 
uh, also reducing emissions uh, at the uh, at the same time. It it really is a win-win, and we know that ethanol is a you know key component of the economic fabric of uh, of rural America, and we want to keep that going. Scott, thank you very much. Appreciate the the information. T- take care. Thanks, Mike. Good to talk to you. Scott Richmond, chief economist for the Renewable Fuels Association. So, it's just it's frustrating. I mean, we keep hearing, well, we got to go electric vehicles to protect the environment. Well, that can be part of it, but don't overlook what we have right now, biofuels, which can help us achieve those uh, goals that are being set, and we can do it right now, not have to wait to develop the technology. We have it. All right, up next, the U.S.-Canada dairy trade dispute, the latest update next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Are you heading to NCBA in Nashville? The National Corn Growers has a great lineup for you on Wednesday, August 11th. Mike Adams will be broadcasting live at 9 a.m. from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the National Corn Growers Association. At 12.30 in the Learning Lounge, NCGA will host a panel discussion with U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef and the U.S. Meat Export Federation as they discuss the partnerships between corn and cattle. We'll see you in Nashville. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend-to-Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend-to-Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Anyone could sell you soybean seed. Channel Seedsman place products to perform. With Channel Extend Flex Soybeans and Channel Roundup Ready to Extend Soybeans, you'll get the excellent weed control you want and the high-yield potential you need. Make the most of next season with the Roundup Ready Extend crop system and expert recommendations from Channel Seedsman. Ask a seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. 
tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, it was hoped that USMCA would help resolve the trade differences between the U.S. and Canada over dairy, but it looks like even though Canada may technically be following its USMCA obligations, they may have found another way around uh, uh, the issue and causing problems that uh, need to be addressed. So let's talk about it with Shauna Morris, Senior Vice President, Trade Policy for the National Milk Producers Federation. So Shauna, bring us up to date. before we were talking about this class seven dairy pricing program Canada had, uh, we thought that was addressed under USMCA, but have they come up with another, another pricing plan that's causing a problem? <laughs> uh, thanks Mike. Well, the Canadians are always coming up with something uh, on dairy. So that's for sure. Um, yeah. USMCA, like you mentioned, uh, was designed to deal with the class seven problem and it, that was a huge problem. So USMCA had a bunch of different elements that were designed to tackle it from a few different directions. <clears throat> it did away with class seven, but it did require Canada to figure out, well, how do you price those products once class seven's gone? Uh, so they created a new class, class 4A, uh, to price most of those products. A really key part of USMCA, though, working in concert with that, was putting in place export discipline so that you effectively capped how much protein Canada could offload onto global markets at lower prices. And I'd say the the end run that we're most concerned about at this point really seems to be uh, exports of additional products that are trying to evade those export disciplines. Okay, so for those not real familiar with this, explain how does this negatively impact our dairy producers? Yeah, I'd say the impacts, if left unchecked, would be similar from the what we were worried about with Class 7. Fundamentally, <clears throat> the worry here is Canada being able to offload excessive amounts of dairy protein onto global markets at artificially low prices uh, that then make it harder for our exporters to compete in those global markets. And that's the case whether you're talking about skim milk powder, milk protein concentrate, or other types of protein. All of those, our folks are trying to export commercially to Asia, to Mexico, to the Middle East. We need a level playing field to compete against those. Canadian policies, uh, we're concerned, could be impacting that. So they replaced Class 7 with what is now 4A. Is there anything under USMCA to address this, or is it? Uh, uh, can they get away with this? There are tools that were put into USMCA in anticipation of the fact that, as I said at the outset, uh, the Canadians are nothing if not creative on dairy, uh, and that we're sort of continually dealing with a shifting target here. So within the agriculture chapter, right inside the dairy provisions, actually, 
there's a commitment uh, to be able to call for consultations between the U.S. and Canada, specifically if some of the dairy disciplines in the deal uh, need relooked at and need addressed between the two countries. Uh, so we've been encouraging the administration to make use of that provision that was included uh, and begin to discuss some of this with Canada, especially with a focus on these excessive exports of new product, new protein products that are beginning to creep up. So we know that uh, our U.S. trade representative has, uh, has talked with them about this. What's the next step in this process? Probably the next step is really similar to how everything began on the other dairy issue with USMCA that's gotten a lot more coverage to date, and that's on the market access piece. You know, we didn't begin at the outset with launching an enforcement action against Canada on how they were dealing with dairy market access. Instead, the first step really is engagement uh, by the USTR staff with the Canadians to say, hey, here's what we're seeing, here's where the concerns are, um, and begin to engage with them on that. So I'd say that type of government-to-government exchange to try to bring the two together and and make sure that Canada is aware of the concerns on the U.S. side is what we're encouraging. Okay, so I'm trying to uh, compare this, say, to the legal system. Um, What you just described, the process that would be in place to address it will take time. So are they allowed to keep doing what they're doing in the meantime? Uh, in other words, there's no like a stay doesn't get put on like in a court ruling. A stay puts on it until a final decision. They are at this point allowed to keep going with their 4A program until this is finally resolved. Is that right? You're right, Mike. Yep. In the trade world, unfortunately, there's nothing like the a court stay. Uh, so the to address trade issues of any kind, including these uh, these new protein exports we're seeing coming out of Canada, uh, what the U.S. government needs to do is really kind of take it step by step. It'll take some time, um, but certainly the sooner that begins, uh, the further down the road we'll be in the months to come. Because it would seem like Canada can say, and truthfully say, well, we're technically adhering to what we agreed to under USMCA. We're not violating it. We did what we said we were going to do. So then you, you, it's the process you have to prove that, uh, okay, you you may agree to that, but you're saying, but what you're doing is the same as that. You're just calling it something else. You're right. And that's, uh, the fact that there's not, there doesn't seem to be a directly clear violation of the text here uh, is what makes this issue more challenging than the market access one uh, with t- with tariff rate quotas into Canada. Um, I'd say in particular, that's why we've focused on what the intent of the negotiators was. We think it's pretty clear that the intention of the negotiators in USMCA was to discipline how much artificially low dairy protein Canada could offload onto global markets. So if they're exporting more than that through these other products, in our view, helping to plug those additional exports really should be a key part of that focus. I'm assuming, Shauna, this is not a total surprise. I remember when USMCA was being negotiated, uh, you saying that you know, it wasn't, USMCA wasn't a perfect solution. It would hopefully, it was going to bring improvement to the situation with Canada, but you realize then it wasn't going to fix all problems. Right. 
each agreement that uh, the U.S. has, I think, ever negotiated is hopefully a step in the right direction. And I think that's how we saw USMCA, is that it was not a sort of silver bullet, uh, fail-safe solution to the challenges we were dealing with, but it certainly we anticipated should help improve and begin to address the situation. I think now that we're seeing where some of those cracks are with these extra milk protein isolate protein exports leaking out of Canada, uh, we really need to focus in on helping to cement those gaps uh, so that it can live up to the potential. So the challenges continue, and we'll keep a close watch on this. Shana, while we have you, a quick update on uh, dairy trade overall, our exports. uh, Uh, What can you tell us uh, as far as how they are going and uh, issues and challenges other than Canada to keep an eye on? Well, thanks for that. Uh, Happily, knock wood, this year has been pretty encouraging today. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I think that might be a little surprising, particularly since one of the big challenges we continue to hear a lot about from a number of our exporters uh, are the challenges at at port uh, and simply the logistics of shipping. Uh, This is something impacting a few others in the ag sector outside of just dairy, but certainly container availability to actually be able to put the goods onto ships and move them right. back out to foreign markets and the unpredictability of that. Uh, those are headwinds our industry is contending with. So the positive trade numbers we've seen, I think, are all the more impressive uh, given the challenges that on that front that the industry has been having to deal with over the last several months. Yeah, that continues to be another issue to watch, just how, how we can uh, physically move goods, right? I mean, that's becoming a bigger and bigger challenge. Absolutely. And, and frankly, I think we're going to need a combination of approaches to deal with it. Uh, we've been encouraging the administration to look at what more they can do in the interim here, particularly if it seems like some of these ocean carriers aren't abiding by existing guidelines and regulations. Um, And then at the same time, you know, there's probably some, I I think there certainly are some legislative improvements we should see to the Shipping Act. Uh, We anticipate that there will be legislation introduced to help improve that and and begin to tackle the issue more effectively in the very near future here. All right, Shauna, thank you very much for the update. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks. Take care. Shauna Morris, Senior Vice President, Trade Policy for the National Milk Producers Federation. All right, up next, we take a look at markets. We're getting closer to the August crop report. Uh, We also, big sale of soybeans. Uh, It's been uh, confirmed now it is to China. Uh, We kind of figured that all along, but uh, now it is confirmed. So uh, where are we with the markets right now moving forward? We'll get Naomi Bloom's uh, thoughts on that. Naomi is Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. That's next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. 
Channel Seedsmen don't just sell soybean seed. You can trust them to understand your fields and place Channel Soybean products to perform. With the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, including triple-stacked Channel Extend Flex soybeans, you can be confident you're getting the excellent weed control you want and high-yield potential you need to make the most of the season. Find a Seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rall. The strength this week has come in wheat markets, winter wheat pressed to new highs three times this week. Spring wheat prices were also strong but fell short of its prior highs. Traders are also gearing up for next week's rounds of USDA estimates. U.S. weather forecasts are trending wetter throughout the weekend. Some rain fell in the west yesterday and moved into western Iowa overnight. Rain is expected across the upper Midwest over the next week. On the Board of Trade this morning, September corn trading a dime higher at 555 and three quarters the December contract up a nickel at 551 and three quarters for soybeans the September contract up eight and a half cent at 1340 and a half cent the November contract eight cents higher at 1333 and a half cent for wheat Chicago wheat September down two at 715 and a fraction Kansas City wheat September down two and a fraction at 692 Minneapolis spring wheat September down a fraction at 902 and a half the December contract down three quarters at 8.91. In cash cattle country, it's slow to start this morning following yesterday's light to moderate movement. Some asking prices remain firm around $123 in the south and $200 in the north. More business should take place either today or tomorrow. Beef cutouts are expected to be higher with light to moderate box movement. For live cattle on the Board of Trade this morning, October up seven cents at 129.05, December up 32 at 134.27. Feeder cattle September down 20 at 162.67. The October contract down a dime at 165.35. In lean hogs, October a dollar 62 lower at 88.50, December a dollar 37 lower at 82.15. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 154 points. The Nasdaq Composite up 51. The S&P 500 up 15. The U.S. dollar index is trending higher. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma. Not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
All right, let's talk markets with Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, thank you for joining us. Other than the weather, what are you most focused on with the markets right now? Well, keeping an eye on two things. Uh, One, the upcoming USDA report next week, Thursday. The other part to this is the value of the dollar and how that plays into commodities in general right now. So the value of the dollar had been you know, creeping lower for the past few weeks and actually the past couple months, and overall that had been really supportive to our exports. But now uh, we're kind of at a standstill here in terms of the value of the dollar. The marketplace is trying to keep an eye on the U.S. economy, the global economy, especially with the Delta variant coming out for COVID. And then at the end of the month is the next meeting when they have their big powwow at Jackson Hole. So we'll see if they start to give us any ideas as far as are they going to keep printing money and doing the easier monetary policies that they've been doing, or are they going to give us a different signal? So there's there's a lot going on right now for agriculture, for commodities, um, also hinging with outside markets and especially the value of that dollar. Yeah, those factors will greatly impact the ag markets moving forward, right? Absolutely. You know, primarily, just remember, when the, when the value of the dollar is lower, that makes it cheaper for other countries to import our agricultural products because of currency exchange rates. So from that respect, it's, it's nice when the dollar is lower because then we see our export demand kick into gear. So then that helps offset the higher costs of commodities, which of course have been higher than they were a year ago. Uh, just because of that currency exchange rate. So that can pick up demand in and of itself. All right. So when we look at the business that's getting done now, there was a big sale of soybeans previously called unknown destinations. Now we know it's to China, right? Yeah, so yesterday was the unknown of 300,000 metric tons of beans. Um, The assumption, of course, absolutely was that it was China. And then this morning, there was an additional export sale of 131,000 metric tons of soybeans to China. So we are starting to see them come back into the marketplace, just like they did last year at this time. I'm sure they're keeping an eye on the weather markets here. They're keeping an eye on... Um, satellite imagery to know what's out there for yield or not out there for yield. And the bottom line, they still have demand for soybeans, for corn, for wheat, and they haven't had the best um, growing season over there also because of the weather. Um, Some good news today, speaking of soybeans and soybean demand, there was news out of China for the hog market that they're wanting to maintain their breeding sow herd at about 43 million head between 2021 and 2025. So that should increase and keep demand strong for feed, which should be good for American agriculture, as of course the United States and South America are the main suppliers of soybeans into China. Are they pretty much done buying South American beans now? Have they shifted back to us as you indicated earlier? Well, that's what we're trying to keep tabs on. You know, it's um, this time of year as we get into our harvest lows at the end of August and early September is when we see China come in and do more buying from us. So we think also, you know, they had definitely done a lot of buying from South America. We saw it on um, export tables and import tables, and so now we should start to see that demand shift towards the United States. Again, seasonally, this is the time of year where things start to pick up in the export department for the beans. 
do we think that China anticipates, you know, or or concerned about production shortages here in this country, or or not as big as uh, maybe we had hoped? So they're they're getting in there now to to buy early. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no question that I think that they're keeping tabs on what's happening here um, through, you know, our social media platforms. Americans are very vocal about how things are looking or how bad things are looking in some places. So China, I'm sure, is concerned that they need to have some of their needs met, especially when around the world you're seeing production issues start to occur for not just soybeans, but all commodities. And I think we talked about this recently, uh, Mike, where we were talking how it's not just soybeans that now have low-ending mm-hmm. stocks. It's, of course, corn. It's all wheat. We're seeing lower wheat numbers come out of Canada. We're seeing lower ca- canola production out of Canada. And then with South America, you know, they're heading into more of a continuous drought situation, and there's some logistical issues within Argentina of, of transporting product on the rivers because the rivers are so low. So yeah, I would think that you're going to want to source product from a country that you can depend on, like the United States, to get you quality product on time. So I would think China is going to start to come in a little bit more over the coming coming weeks for sure and be more of a buyer. We're talking with Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing. So that's on the business, the selling side. Let's look on the production side. Uh, this report next week, as we've said, it doesn't give us the total picture or the answer to all of our questions, but it does kind of give us a better indication and kind of uh, gives us a, a foundation to work off of heading to the September report. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing to remember with this report next week, the USDA is not in the fields. They're not touching the crop, what they're using to gather the information, uh, crop conditions, satellite data, and just other weather information to try to assess what the yield potential is going to be out there. And you can just, you know, tell how mixed the industry is right now as far as is the crop there or not there based on the yield estimates coming out by private companies. You know, you hear yields for corn in the low 180s. You're hearing yields for corn come in near 175. Same type of thing with soybeans. It's all over the place as far as where the the guesses are. What I want to see on Thursday next week, I don't know that the USDA does anything aggressive as far as yield one way or the other, but it's important to see are they shifting the needle lower yield or are they shifting the needle higher and that's what the trade is going to pounce on and so if the yield is coming in lower than the july numbers you're going to see prices work higher and if that yield if they tweak it higher then you're going to see the seasonal sell-off that does usually occur in august and prices work lower into month end it would take um, some good demand news or some definitive no rain in the forecast and high heat to offset anything that the USDA says. But, you know, last year the August report was the low in the market, coupled with the Dretcho storm and Chinese buying. That also was supportive for the market. But otherwise, seasonally, prices usually find their low at the end of August. So um, big, big, big market reaction I'm expecting out of next week's report, especially because of how the grain markets have been consolidating in this trading range. The funds have been kind of on the sidelines because they're waiting to see what the USDA has to say next week. So so not so much how much they move, but what direction they move things, right, up or down. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, um, that's the biggest indicator. And now if they do something aggressive, like a larger cut of like 2 billion or 2 to 3 
um, uh, bushels for corn. I mean, that would obviously be aggressive, but even if they don't do anything aggressive like that, just watching which way they're shifting it, that's a pretty big indicator of itself. And then also on that report next week, I'm curious what they do with old crop ending stocks. I still think that the old crop ending stocks are smaller than what they're letting on. So that could be a bullish factor if they shift that. But otherwise, that information may not come until the September quarterly stocks report when it's a little bit safe to be more transparent about the reality of the situation because you have a crop then being harvested to offset the supply fear of low, tight ending stocks for the old crop. What a year it's been. I think back to last August, right? All of a sudden we were starting to see a market rally that we didn't see coming. Well, absolutely. That director storm, the one-year anniversary is coming up. And then on the USDA report last year in August, I remember distinctly the report itself was neutral, maybe slightly negative, but the market posted bullish reversals off of that report. So, again, sometimes it's always re- important to remember it's not necessarily what the report says, it's how the market responds to it. And that was the case last year. The August report was the bottom of the market. And not only do we watch next week's report, but also these uh, weekly crop ratings. Oh, absolutely. You know, looking on Monday, that's the next crop progress rating. Soybean crop conditions last week were 60% good to excellent, a little bit higher than the week prior, but Mm -hmm. still go um, below year-ago levels of 73% good to excellent. I mean, that's a pretty big drop, especially when you have – you know, key growing states of Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota struggling. And then with the corn crop, that was 62% good to excellent down from the week prior and down from 72% last year. So it's not a perfect crop. You know, you can't just automatically say it's going to be record yield. And that's why the marketplace is so confused right now. As you know, we've been hammering home for weeks, you know, the Eastern Corn Belt has a good crop. The Western Corn Belt it's very mixed and variable from county to county throughout the Midwest on the western side of the Corn Belt. So, again, it'll be very interesting to see what the USDA pegs for a number on Thursday next week. Yeah, and then you have those swing states kind of in the middle that could still, uh, you know, benefit greatly by some rains here in August. We're kind of waiting to see some areas starting to get some of those, but how much and how widespread remains to be seen. Naomi, always good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll talk to you again soon. Take care. Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Well, lots going on with uh, the administration pushing electric vehicles and, of course, the infrastructure bill. How far is that going to get? And if so, uh, you know, if it gets out of the Senate, what happens in the House? And we're going to talk about some of those things with Jarrett Renshaw reporter for Reuters. He uh, covers uh, the Biden administration, also in the past has been uh, a reporter on the uh, on the energy front as well, biofuels. So we're going to bring those two together next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Are you heading to NCBA in Nashville? The National Corn Growers has a great lineup for you on Wednesday, August 11th. Mike Adams will be broadcasting live at 9 a.m. from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the National Corn Growers Association. At 12.30 in the Learning Lounge, NCGA will host a panel discussion with U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef and the U.S. Meat Export Federation as they discuss the partnerships between corn and cattle. We'll see you in Nashville. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Channel Seedsmen don't just sell soybean seed. You can trust them to understand your fields and place Channel Soybean products to perform. With the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, including triple-stacked Channel Extend Flex soybeans, you can be confident you're getting the excellent weed control you want and high-yield potential you need to make the most of the season. Find a Seedsman in your area for recommendations for your fields. Check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. Always read and follow grain marketing and all their stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. 
more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. I want to spend a little time with Reuters reporter Jarrett Renshaw. Jarrett, I know you're very busy. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Okay. Hey, the president um, made this big announcement uh, yesterday. Uh, The goal of half of all new vehicles by 2030 should be electric. Uh, The biofuels industry reaction is, hey, we're, we're not saying... Uh, we're not going against electric, but let's not overlook what what the biofuels industry can do right now in achieving these goals. Uh, it seems like all we hear from the White House is electric, electric, electric. Uh, what's your what's your take on that? Sure, man. I think you're right. Uh, the the biofuel community has been trying to promote this lower carbon uh, alternative that the biofuels offer, and quite frankly, you know the the White House is all all engaged in, in electric vehicles. I don't think they, at this point, they're certainly not promoting liquid fuels or anything like that. Um, so it's EVs all the time. That's where all the money's going. That's where all the resources are going. That's where their promotions are going. Um, so it's certainly, uh, you know, a, it's tough to get a, uh, uh, your voice in edgewise, I think. It's a very, uh, you know, very yeah. packed out field follow the money uh, on a lot of that but I mean it's just not even realistic to think you can just make this pardon the pun flip the switch and all of a sudden everybody's driving electric vehicles I mean that that's not even that that makes no sense at all sure I'm with you on that Mike but did there you know if you do believe electric vehicles are the future you know the key to that is getting charging stations and the infrastructure and get the cost down so there is a lot of like uh, you know shovel work that needs to be done in order to to achieve that goal, and I think that's what you're going to see, right? You're seeing a lot of the money going towards charging stations um, and a lot of the network to make it more viable for the average customer um, to buy electric vehicles. Um, I still think, to your point, we're still years off. I mean, they got to build the infrastructure um, and all that, but somebody's got to do it. If that's where we're going, somebody's got to you know, bite the bullet and, and build that stuff out um, if we're ever going to get to a point where electric vehicles are real viable. Uh, nationwide option. Speaking of building, what about the infrastructure bill? What are you seeing and hearing on that as far as its chances of going first through the Senate and then what it faces in the House? 
Well, as you know, there are, there are two infrastructure bills, right? So we have the, uh, the, the one billion one that there's an, an agreement on. I think that will move through the Senate. Um, you know, the House is going to be a little bit more tricky. Um, you know, Democrats have slim majorities in both the House and the Senate. Uh, House tends to be a little bit more progressive than the Senate. Um, and they're not going to vote on the $1 trillion bill until they get some, some agreement on the, the $3.5 trillion. So I don't think anything's assured. I do think on the biofuels front, I think you'll see some interesting things like the senators and the House members on this will be more powerful than ever, right? They, their votes really matter because of the slim majorities. And, and so I think you'll see some interesting thing. And I, my guess is there's regional interest everywhere, Mike. Like everybody has some lawmaker has some regional ask. Um, but I, I do think you'll see a loud voice from, um, from, from rural America looking for some help um, on the biofuels front, and you know, some threats of withholding votes, whether that you know they they not do it, but I, you know, when when you only have some majorities, uh, you, you can't you can't you can't afford to lose anybody, really. I think it's going to bring some interesting decisions, as it often does on these kind of bills, especially these big ones. This is a twenty-seven hundred-page bill at this point. Do you just look at the things in there that you like and kind of? hold your nose to the other things that might be in there that you don't particularly like? I mean, you, ha you I guess this is what it, you have to do if you're in Congress, right? You have to weigh both sides, and uh, you may not like it all, but is there enough good to get you to vote for it? And I think I think it's going to put agriculture in that position because there are a lot of things in there from, uh, you know, uh, roads, bridges, broadband type of uh, standpoint that agriculture has been wanting for some time, but there may be some other parts of it maybe even the pay-fors that agriculture won't particularly like. Uh, so is there enough good to offset the bad? Sure. I think that's always the, uh, you know, always the question. I, I do think agriculture is going to be much more engaged, particularly in the, in the next level of, of stuff. You've got a lot of clean energy bills. You've got a lot of carbon capture um, stuff that I think, you know, farmers are going to want to have a say in. Um, so I, I do think, we haven't really heard much from, to, at least from Hawaii stand, from the farming community on this stuff. And, and I, I do think they'll, they'll be more at the table on this next round, and, and we shall see what, what happens. I mean, they, they might have some concerns with some of the climate stuff. Um, they may not. Um, they, may, they may support taxing, you know, some imports um, um, based on the country's climate goals uh, or, or lack thereof. So... You know, it'll be interesting to see how rural America responds to this, this next tranche of money that's going to come through. For sure, and we continue to keep a close watch on that. Jarrett, uh, this transportation issue, the backup on the ports and uh, the supply chain, uh, the logistics there slowing down, is that something the administration is uh, taking a hard look at and trying to do something about? Uh, yeah, I think... They uh, they speak a lot. Let's just say that about uh, you know inflation, supply bottlenecks. Um, you know they 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 tend to be pretty dismissive of their long term um, impacts. Uh, they they see this kind of all short term as the you know as workers get off unemployment, get back on back onto the uh, uh, the workforce. Uh, demand high, you know, they'll level out. And they just think this is a kind of a minor speed bump. Um, you know, and I think Republicans have have characterized it much differently. Um, so 
I think there's going to be some like uh, some finger pointing here as we move, you know, six months and we're still talking about this. I think that's going to be a real problem for the White House. They're betting they're not going to be talking about it and this stuff will kind of solve itself, but I think we'll see. Yeah, it seems like more than a speed bump right now, but we shall see. Jarrett, thanks a lot. Appreciate your time. We'll check in again soon. Thank you. All right, Mike. All right, Jarrett Renshaw. Uh, for Reuters. He's covering the uh, White House. We appreciate his time. All right, that wraps it up for the day and for the week. Thanks for being with us. Have a great weekend. Hope you'll join us again next week right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.